take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. All right, Tommy. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Mr. Finley. I am feeling it. I am feeling it. Feeling it. Yourself? Uh, pretty good. I don't know how to. I'm a little. I have some trepidation talking about this patri- this particular episode uh, of ours. <laughs> I do too. I, I, I have a. I have a nasty suspicion it's going to be about seven minutes. Well, no. Well, it could be. It could well be. Um, I. I it's not that. Okay. Well, let's first of all let's just establish what we're talking about. We're talking about the 1956 film Foreign Intrigue, Foreign Intrigue. starring. Robert Mitchum and nobody else you've ever heard of. Now. <laughs> yes, because it was a. I mean, it was based. So foreign intrigue. I, now, my my the very little reading I could do on this told me that foreign intrigue was the first attempt to make a movie based on a TV show. Right. And uh, oddly enough, it feels just like that. It does have <laughs> this that. This movie really feels like that. Quality. I mean, look, there was the Playhouse '90 stuff. And, and mm-hmm. I guess you could say that, that there was a little bit of that going back and forth, right? Days of Wine and Roses, Marty. But usually, I guess the film came first, right? Not always. No, in fact, usually, if you're going to do, like, the Playhouse 90 adaptations, then, yeah, they came from the, uh, they came from the TV onto the big screen. But uh, I think this was the first one. But more importantly, this is the one that was directly just ad- a, a, an adaptation of it instead of. So the Playhouse 90s, those were plays that they did on TV, and then they, so, so they scaled to movies very easily the, the, but they essentially were already movies yeah the guy behind this um, Reynolds was his last name I forget his first name oh uh, Sheldon Reynolds um, he had done a Sheldon t- oh Sheldon name? bad news already he'd done some um, some of that TV work um, mm-hmm. he was heavily heavily invested in the Sherlock Holmes series and in fact in, by the late mm-hmm. 60s or early 70s he really wanted to take that property over in terms of the film rights to all adaptations, and he never got. So you were a, talking about like the Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce version of the. Uh... No, 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 no. Although I think he had something to do with those as a, like a way deep, deep down in the uh, the crew. Um, at that point, that's my dog. I apologize. Sorry, man. My dogs are barking. <laughs> my dog is a good dog because it barks at anyone who comes by, and hates our granddaughter. I don't know. why. But that's but that's how that's going. But anyway, so I'll just have our dog chime in as well. There comes someone else. Easy girl, easy. Oh, sorry. So so yeah, I think he had something to do with those early those early. But he did some some of his own um, in the fifties as like TV properties, and he'd been attached to some of the later ones in the film. Um, But he just he never got it off the ground. And one of the things I want to say is that before I knew that fact. There was something about foreign intrigue that reminded me of, of a Sherlock Holmes. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. because, and it was like something about the pacing, something about the exposition. Right. I mean, it really, rather than a foreign sort of like thriller or spy movie, which is, which essentially this is more of, um, right. it kind of reminds you of the exposition of, of, of those films where it's like somebody dies and they, did they tell a secret before they died? And did, who knows about the secret they <laughs> right. told before they died? And, and, and why would someone be interested in knowing about them telling the secret before they died? And, and a, a kind of a cool cucumber, which you could argue is half Sherlock Holmes and half James Bond or something like that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, I think, like, you know, part of, I, I was trying to figure out what exactly about the writing and sort of the pacing of this movie that was kind of throwing me off a little bit. That It really, it felt like TV. But really what yeah. it's based on, I think, is that, um, you know, like, the television, you know, in its half-hour installments or hour installments, was, was felt very sort of serial-esque, like the old serial movies from yeah. way back in the day. Yeah. And, which were, you know, short, short movies, uh, with a with a with a hero, it's super easy to understand, yep. and to be continued next week, right? So yeah. so, TV and TV sort of follow that thing, and this sort of has that feeling as well. So it doesn't feel so much like it's a movie, uh, like a movie, so much as it does several television episodes slapped together into into a, yeah that's, into into this length. That's not bad. It reminds if you're talking about movies, it kind of reminds me of like the the Saint with Roger Moore or something like that. If we're talking about movies, in terms of the... Here comes another jogger, and there goes my dog. Here comes... Uh, I mean, it reminds me more of movies... I hate joggers, too. I get it. And dogs. It, it reminds me of, um, let's say, The Ipcris File. Something about the cinematography. Also reminds mm. me of Sleuth, both, coincidentally, Michael Caine movies. There's something about the serialization that you're talking about, but also about the jumping around from, from area to area. There's a, uh, a film we like called The Counterfeit Trader, which has a quality like this. There's one called mm. The Naked Runner in 67 with Frank Sinatra. But I think the real motivator in terms of this stuff is the Cold War. So by the time the 50s come around, filmmakers are, are sort of uh, tempted by this idea of like um, intrigue being you're in Sweden and then the next day you're in Austria and the next day you're following these things down uh, like oh, like Sherlock Holmes would have had he had air transport at, right. at his and that, and that maybe that's part of it too it's just like it's the it's 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 um, you know film as travelogue in a sense like yeah so now now we have this amazing technology of travel we can do so so if I want to make an exotic movie I just throw it into exotic cities. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Yes, that's true. And, and okay. you know, later on with James Bond, you know, an exotic girl can come with that, that city. And, of course, that, that, uh, that happens in this film, too. Um, I, I forget her name. I should look it up. The, the, the sort of co-star, the third build. Um, the Swedish, blonde one? The Swedish blondie. Right. Um, but also the sort of, f not femme fatale, I don't think she qualifies, but the... the uh, well, let's, let's start with the, the film, which is basically like Mitchum is... Um, that's what's interesting about this film. He doesn't play um, a detective or a spy. He plays the helper of a rich man, <laughs> like the, right. the fixer, yeah, if you will, uh, who had been like a, who had been uh, like a journalist of some kind. And so, yeah, he's, the, he's so basically would seem, he's the press well. he's the press guy for this rich dude. <laughs> yeah, okay, I did good. I was gonna say the fixer, but yeah. So, so, so we start with this guy. The rich guy dies. And Mitchum sort of walks in and is the last one to see him alive. And immediately, first of all, we were given to understand that his wife or his now widow, who's much younger and is a trophy wife, really is not that concerned with the fact that her husband just died. And initially, you feel kind of bad for her. Like, there's been this arrangement, and it's like, oh, this makes an interesting film. Unfortunately, what they turn it into is, oh, she has to be kind of like the bad person in this film. Um, mm -hmm. And then that everyone, including people who are posing as insurance agents, just sort of checking up, um, I guess, a la double indemnity on this guy's death. Um, like, did, did he say anything? What were his last words? And, and Mitchum becomes sort of like, why is everyone concerned with this guy's last words? It's the rose buttery, if you will, of this guy. Um, and, and then off we go. He's going to sort of like this one clue given and then which I'm not going to tell you what it is. But but he's sort of he's off to the races to different locations 
uh, trying to track down why this guy lived the life he did, how, why everyone's concerned with him, and what danger that puts him in, and what he can do about it. Some just occurred to me, I have to say, this has like a lot of qualities of a Hitchcock sort of a suspense yep. thing. Yep. The difference being that in Hitchcock, like the, the standard is, is that there's the one guy who knows, you know, like the like the like the one guy. This guy, like the Robert Mitchum character, has no idea what the you know. Yeah, it's got that. Has no idea what he knows, and more to the point, and I love Robert Mitchum. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh Nobody in these movies, like, do I give a shit about? I mean, in this movie, I didn't really care about it. But he does. The Hitchcock, you're right about that. So with Hitchcock, you kind of like the main character, right? Well, I was thinking about Topaz in that sense that you know, or or the Wrong Man with Henry Fonda. Hitchcock would do that thing where it's like. The guy doesn't exactly know what's what's happening, and it's an audience member. Party is going like, who cares? Go somewhere else. Who cares? Don't even bother with this. And yet you're intrigued with someone who who's willing to to um, try to discover things and unearth things and find the truth, even if it doesn't initially seem clear why they'd want to. I mean, that's right, the sort right. of extra mystery, right? The unexplained uh, motivation that that someone that you can have that you could have an interesting story without. Motivation is itself kind of interesting as a film, but you have to be able to pull it off in terms of the tone. And sometimes I thought this film did. There were times when I thought, I like this film. I, I didn't think it was a dog. There were times when I liked it. And then times when I, I kept being sort of slapped in the face with like, but why is anyone doing the things that they're doing? I have, I have no idea why it's, it's happening. Yeah, and so, I, I, I'm going to get on board with you on that one. I did not hate this movie at right. all. Just didn't, I, uh, it's enjoyable just didn't even, but it's almost like... Um, uh, you know, great, great album that you like until someone points out the lyrics that you never understood, and you're like, "Oh God, those are the like uh, <laughs> that's a that that doesn't do this any good." Those lyrics that you just right, unearthed for you're me. Right. Sometimes it is great to have a character whose motivations you don't get. Totally. Like for the life of me, I had no idea why Robert Mitchum was doing the stuff he was doing half the time. All right, well, like, I didn't come away with that being very clear to me in, in, in at all. Like, was he working for the CIA or something like that, or? No, he's just an intrepid journalist who wants to do right. What? Yeah, I don't. I, it, I'm going to throw <laughs> some maybe a deeper conversation that does come out of this film, and it's the the older I get as a classic film watcher, I'm more of the opinion that I don't think I like Robert Mitchum very much. And let me let me give you my case because I know that you do like him. So uh, this is interesting. Yeah, he's 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 one. He's in one of my favorite films of all time, Night of the Hunter. So I'm going to say that about. Him. He's in some great films, and I like him in it. So, um, Lonely Are the Brave, I think, is one. He's with Deborah Kerr, and um, I want to say Deborah Kerr, and uh, Frank Sinatra, with the whole thing about the hospital and their surgeons. Um, speaking of Deborah... Oh, no, Deborah, not as a stranger. That's not, not as, as a stranger, stranger. sorry. Deborah Carr, um, he's done some films with her. We started, our, we started our first episode with Deborah Carr, and they were actually Deborah Carr or Robert Mitchum. So, yes, The Sundowners. Yes, heaven knows, uh, Mr. Allison. Um, I like him. A l- I like the movie a lot, Home from the Hill. But here's what I notice about all the ones I like him in. He is. It's it's a um, an ensemble cast. It's always a ton of people, whether at the time they were stars or in retrospect they're stars. That 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 he was good in that cast. I can't think of a movie where he's the lead and there's a, there aren't any significant people in the film where I like him. And part of it is this. His body and face are as mediocre as you could possibly get, and his acting seems to be kind of the same. 
he dips his chin in, he, he raises his eyebrows, and he goes, well... And every relationship he has with a woman is the relationship that we have with women when we first got, start getting intimate, and that is the first time you get to tease a woman. You know, like, he, but it's like that's his whole relationship with all women. I kind of find him to be not an interesting person as an actor. Uh, Go man, ahead. Hey, uh, I, I can't hate you, Joseph. Well, I hate no, you. But let me just say Could this be before, before you see. give me your retort. I understand... I mean, they, I, you could say that about a lot of people I like as actors too. So it's it's it really is more of a conversation. I, I'm not trying to. Let's hear it, man. Well, first off, I gotta say, dog? like he's as a as a 420 positive uh, person. Yep. This guy's your fucking hero, right here. My hero. You're the yeah. pot, you're the pothead. But go ahead, Tom Swift. Please, sir. Please. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, his his advocacy for the pot lifestyle, the marijuana yep. lifestyle. Yeah, just off, to clarify, right there, but 1940, we'll clarify that 1948, because I'm going to give you that one. 1948, he's busted for. Yeah, he got busted for pot. He took the rap instead of letting the uh, instead of letting the studios, uh, you know, like you know, grease the wheels and, and him not serving a day. He said, like, fuck it. He took. He took it's the an heat amazing for it. picture of him, uh, super high, getting thrown in jail. He's just like super, like. Eh. Yeah, man. I give you that one, and I admire that. But over and above that, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like it's hard to defend an actor. Like you either, I guess you either like what they do or you don't. So I go farewell, my lovely. That's a fucking great movie. I liked him in uh, was it War, uh, War and Remembrance. I've liked him in every movie I've seen him in. Um, Out of the past, have you ever seen that? Yeah, I can't think of a movie where you couldn't be replaced by somebody better. Honestly, I'm trying to think of one movie that championship season. Um, Ugh. Yeah, well, that's not a great example. I mean, I like perhaps. that movie. So <laughs> I should have not no, named I, I think Paul Servino is the star of that one. I would say the the Winds of War. Same thing. I like the Winds of War, but I mean, I like Jan Michael Vincent as much as I liked him in that movie. So nobody really liked Jan Michael. Vincent. You know what's crazy? There's, there's there are a couple of like couple of girls friends. had a couple of posters in their wall. Maybe you did too. I don't know. I think you lost a leg finally to drink. I I, I admire that. I, th- um, I, th- I think that that thing on his face actually is what. Took I'm going to go life. ahead and say, even in Night of the Hunter, I could probably think of five people who would have been as good or better because it actually wasn't that he was amazing in it. It's that the the concept was cool, and that um, he was sort of bolstered by great co-stars. I'm going to tell you, man. I, I I don't know. I don't know how to have this. I I would say this. There, there you do have a certain contrariness. Every once in a while comes at him. Just like that. Well, pick, pick the pick the opposite side. Just to. But just why to is that contrary? We, we don't sit. We, we actually don't have this conversation very often. And I I'm telling you that it's something I've come to. So so uh, don't. That's too easy. I think I'm going to not let you off the hook. You you. I understand what you're saying. It is difficult to talk about why you like someone, especially if you haven't been given time. And I didn't give you time to prepare. But I think just saying, oh, that's contrary is also you're taking the easy way out. So tell me, tell me. Oh, yeah, sure. Hold on. Absolutely. I'm taking the easy way out. I don't think I'm taking the wrong way out. But, but sure. No, but I'm not, I don't, I don't think you're right about this. Sure. I don't think you're, you're correct about this because I, I gave you specific reasons why. And so rather than put you on the spot about specific reasons why he's great, how about this? Why don't you tell me the, the um, top three movies you like him in? Not three movies I like him in. Uh, anyway, I definitely go would, would go Night of the Hunter. Absolutely, yep. Cape Fear. Uh, oh, and, Cape um, Fear. What's that? Cape Fear. 
Yeah. Cape Fear. Uh, what was it? Uh, and uh, I think uh, Farewell, My Lovely, but that's not a defensible movie. It's, it's, it wasn't him. It wasn't anybody at their. By best. the way, Cape Fear, a good movie. I'm going to be uh, uh, perhaps controversial in your eyes here too, and say this: it's one of the few times I think the remake was actually better. And 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 follow me here. De Niro was because it's De Niro. De Niro taking on a psychopath, and and having something that Mitchum did not have the luxury of having, which is like. Um, a less stringent code to be a psychopath, right? Uh, so now that being said, I thought, but no, but but here's the thing: I it's just comparing those two movies right there. Yeah, yeah, De Niro. I mean, it's it's freaking Robert De Niro, and he's he's he wasn't he wasn't past his height at that point. Like he was, he was still like a, a like a hell of an actor at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, But I found uh, I found Robert Mitchum ultimately more menacing. But I think that's De one of the Niro? things that I do like about him. Overall, oh, he brings a quality of, of menace to a good guy. I won't even argue that he was menacing in Cape Fear. More menacing than De Niro in Cape Fear. It retarded. Yeah. retarded. Absolutely retarded. Now, you, now you've brought a level of retardation to the show that I can work with, Tommy. I just, I just, I can't work with this hate speech, Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a little well, triggered at the moment. Anyway, no, I felt more menace coming off of him than because uh, because if I get right down to it, De Niro's was was a little bit kind of cartoony villain in that movie, mm. as opposed to Mitchum, who I think was kind of. It was a little, it was a more subdued sort of a thing, and you might say that. <laughs> well, I think you might say that's him not acting very hard. I think it's it's, but I'm not gonna. Here's where maybe I won't give credit to to uh, Scorsese or De Niro. It's just that the code changes. De Niro, um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Mitchum's, um, you know, quote unquote seduction of the teenager in Cape Fear in 1962. It doesn't get nearly as creepy as De Niro because De Niro can actually start ripping her clothes off and by yeah. 1992. So it's like I'm not giving credit to anything but time passing there. So so perhaps I'm I'm just creating a bad argument by saying De Niro and 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 but maybe this is the main point really is that we can disagree about Robert Mitchum, but the fact that this made me think about it tells us more tells me more about this. <laughs> Because <laughs> I did not feel that way before this week. I was like, yeah, he's up there. And I never really fleshed it out for myself. But this made me rethink all of his acting. Well, no, but the thing is, he's not even a terrible actor. He's just perfunctory in this thing. He just okay. sort of shows up from one scene to another in this movie. Oh, uh, yeah, I gotta say that, 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 that this is terrible. Like, he's not good in this movie. No. But I don't think, I don't think there's, I don't, honestly, there's not a lot good in this movie going Except on. But would, it, it does look like he mailed it the fuck in. But something sure. about the cinematography is very specific to a time, and I'm not even sure that it's great, but it does remind me of the Ipcris file in terms right. of a, a very sort of, I can't put my finger on it, but, but the cinematography is, maybe it's just comforting, too. That's the other thing that you and I have to deal with all the time, because we, you know, our, our friend who, who uh, comes on the show every once in a while, Evan Monroe Faulkner, is, is, is a big sort of like, you know, Blu-ray, you know, uh, all this yeah. sort of stuff. You and I had to be dragged out into Letterbox, And then, of course, we were like, oh, yeah, Letterbox is better. But, but we were like, yeah. What do you mean you can hear the words? What? Grainy and like a fraction of a second of a commercial because you cut it out because you were up like at 2 in the morning taping something. That's sort of like yeah. our comfort zone. So... So even there, it's like I'm not even sure that I can I can critique that honestly, you know. I, it was, yeah. I I, I, I just got to say this, like I watched, like I said, I've always been a fan of Robert Mitchum. So yeah. in my argument with you, it's very hard for me to. Sure. Uh, like there's 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 always going to be a soft spot for me in that situation. But but yeah. I have to say this, uh, my my dad, who had the extensive collection of all these VHSs, we're more or less referencing here, yep. uh, one way or the other. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 
he had that movie in there for I've never for like uh, yeah for twenty years. I never watched it once. The movie so. that we saw. Yeah. Oh. Really? Yeah, yeah. I never saw. I never watched it. I never saw him watch it. So I guess it kind of tells me a little bit about that because it really was not. It was, it was a very perfunctory movie. Yeah, no question about it. Um, yeah. So okay, I, I I feel the same way. The movie I want to compare it to in terms of my feelings about it is Ernest Borgnine's 1959 Man on a String. Glad I saw it. I heard about it forever. Um, I, I, there's nothing particular I can recommend about this film except that if you're a, like a nerd cinephile like us, like we are, there like you could follow the rabbit hole the way we did with like, oh, this guy was actually interested in the Sherlock Holmes property, you know, like the history of it or something. Right, and you know what? You know what? Maybe uh, that's a, that's that's an interesting comparison because I can see what you're talking about there, and I think you know I wonder if some part of that maybe just has to do with the fact that there are, you know, you know, a classic movie is one that travels in time like it does that is timeless these do not have that quality maybe there was something much more appealing to the audiences that watched them in a movie theater at that time that simply doesn't make any sense to us i suppose but it's entirely possible it is but i but i think a really good movie just like shakespeare it's not about the subject matter of the history that that disqualifies it from from traveling to your Mm -hmm. viewing time period right because there's nothing about the merchant of venice Unless you're doing a ridiculous updated mm-hmm. version, I've seen some actually fairly ridiculous. Knocking number of Shylocks around here. Man. That's right. Um, you certainly uh, attempted to do pounds <laughs> of flesh jokes, yeah, but, um, but you know it, it just travels, and so it's like I don't want to. I don't want to let this film or Man on a String off the hook because it's like, well, no. unless it's a Soviet, uh, you know, it's it, it's just that it, there's maybe it's it's what doesn't travel is like. Um, the paranoia, the cultural paranoia we have, because we don't really have it. And think about the fact that we're not particularly culturally paranoid about China or North Korea. And we should right. be, probably, but we're just like, bah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're saying, well, and that, that may be a part of it, but but here's, I guess, the answer to that then. Yeah, it's, and I'm, and it's you and me agreeing, ooh, um, which is to, if I'm gonna the necessary off. ingredient that makes your movie work. There's a sense of of an impermanent paranoia in a culture at one given time. It's fucked. It's yeah, it's just not going to work. Yeah, I feel that way about Gerard Butler movies now. So we'll talk. We can talk about that offline. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I think the major accomplishment, Tommy, is that we actually got 22 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) We did it. We did it, buddy. <laughs> you, like, oh my God! You had to throw Robert Mitchum under a bus just for seven. Turns out I love him. I'm sorry, Mr. Mitchum. Uh, and my my dog <laughs> is signing off as well. All right, Tommy, you have uh, a website. I'm sure you'd like to plug. Yeah, sure. Go check me out at uh, TomSmithComedy.com. All right, man. I will talk to you soon. All right, bud. be Bye. good.